Um, let's pray for him. Please, you guys didn't clap. You did? Oh, yes, that's what I want to hear. Uh, let me pray for Pastor Des, Papa Des. Lord Jehovah, we come before you this morning as he shares his word. Lord God, we, we ask you to fill him with wisdom and your grace and to bless himself. Lord God, you know, he, this is nothing to him. He's, he's an awesome pastor and we look forward to his word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for leading us through service this morning. Well, it's an honor to be in church and back on this Easter, Easter what? Easter season. And I know there are people who took leave the whole of last week. So Easter, you are still dealing with Christ's resurrection. It can be heavy, right? But it's good to see you and to have you all in church. And just to pick up from where we left, I was not privileged to be in church on Easter Sunday. I look forward to this. Was it recorded? Was this play recorded? I need to watch it by any means. And we've been talking about grace. We've been talking about grace. But before we go there, let me just ask, is there anyone who's here maybe for the very first time? Anyone? Just, you know, there are people who may know you differently. You just need to be careful what you talk about. Eh? You may be even people you owe money. And today they have come. You know, so you have to be careful. So my name is Des, Papa Des. As she said, my husband to Pastor Janet, who is a children's pastor. We're blessed with two children, and we thank God for that. But above all else, I am a beneficiary of this grace of God. If, we were, if it were not for his grace... You know, as the worship team was leading us, I was just thinking about my petty offenses. You know, the, uh, let me tell you, one of the things I struggle with is when we go for family sort of gatherings. And they remind me of some of those things I used to do. One of the embarrassing ones is that I was the trusted son. And so I was the one who was given custody of those shop. You know those shops where you pay some money and you can always speak? So who was the appointed picker? You are truly. But one day I discovered there's a loophole in this system. There are no audits done. There are no controls, you know? And thank you, I'll check this out. Okay, thank you. There are no audits done. And I remember I became that petty thief. So every time I'll go and pick something for the family, I'll also ensure I pick chocolates and pick biscuits. So I was known in school to be the person who had a regular supply. God help us that there were five kids. So the rest were as poor. And then there was this guy who was privileged. Until one day, I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit revealed to my dad that these accounts are not balancing. You know, the rate at which things are ending, this balance is ending, it's not al al aligning. I remember, so before I confessed of my sins, it was a very big issue what is happening. But when I look back, because of this grace, God forgave me. So now I can approach those family meetings. Because of this same grace, the grace of God, you just accept it was me. It was me. The chocolates, it was me. Because one day the shopkeeper had to account. What are these that have been going? 
Hey, they found chocolates. Hey, we never ate any of these sweets. We never ate any of this. But it is because of the grace of God. It is because of the grace of God. And as we talked about the grace of God, just to recap a little bit, we talked about this grace is the undeserved. It is the unearned and the unmerited favor of God. No matter what you do, you will never earn it. You will never deserve it. You will never merit it. That's what his grace is all about. And we're coming from a point in Esther whereby the beauty about our God that yes, Jesus died. But the power of it is that what did he do? He rose again. Amen? He rose again. And as I was thinking about, you know, that resurrection where we were last Sunday, we were just meditating on Christ's resurrection, on his death. What are those things that happened? At the point that he died, do you know how many other people resurrected? If you've read your Bible, do you know of that part? There are so, people are seen walking in the streets. Imagine people you owed money, you see them walking around again when the Lord had already dealt with them. And forgiven. The, the relatives you didn't like so much, and yes, you know, you see them walking around. But that was the power of the resurrection. But in my life, I ask, hey, what does that power mean for me? It means that God brought to life many other things that were dead in me. And today as we go through the sermon, may you experience that power of his grace. Amen? Amen. And as we go through his grace, this Sunday we move on. We talked about grace. And this grace looks like a wild card. It, that card that allows you, it's like mosho moja. Everything given to you. And it can be a dilemma, especially with our human mindsets. When someone just does something good to you, just like that, what goes through your mind? Huh? What else goes through your mind? What else? As in, that's our nature. We are not used to receiving, and especially if you come from Nairobi, Three things. Bure, ivo tu. Bure. Ikitu ikona kitu bana. Ikitu itakuja kutushika. And that's the same thing about the grace of God. And it leaves us at two points. For some of us, you try and make it even. Right? You try to look for a way to do what? To pay back. Isn't that human? You try to look for, let me, how can I make it up to you? How, so that I don't owe you anything. So that, you know, I've earned this thing, in a sense. You try and look for a way. If you can pay it monetary-wise, you want to pay. Just tell me how much. Or you look for another way to pay. That's the one side of grace. And what that does in the Christian perspective is that it moves us to a place of legalism. Where we try to reciprocate we try to pay back. We try to make it even with God. So that's tukosawa. That's the one thing that grace does. The other flip card of, the, of that card called grace is that, ah, just like that, I was forgiven. This guy didn't ask for no punishment, no nothing. And I'm good. And it means this grace has even covered for my future. Then you go into a place, then why should I live a life that is different? You go into a lawlessness state. You see those two aspects? 
So on the one side, there's legalism. You're trying to pay back. You're trying to be even. You're trying to match. All right? But on the other side, there's lawlessness. This Sunday, we are going to talk about the trap of legalism. Tell your friend the trap of legalism. Legalism. And the definition of legalism is basically anything we do or don't do in order to earn favor with God. Anything we do or don't do. And we are trying to earn this favor with God. And as we start off, I would like us to read about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke 18, 9 to 14. A similar incident. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others. Hmm. Do you have friends who think they are better than others? Do you have church members who think they are better than others? Tell them today they are locked. Jesus was telling this story. And he said, and who looked down on everyone else? Hmm. Or this is you. And there are circumstances where you measure up other people. You say, ah, we are Cochini. You know, that, that's, that's just life. My sister once went to an interview where she was with certain Nigerians. And if you've met Nigerians, they are very... Nigerians face and told them, let me tell you, this job is ours. And imagine the guy is waiting to be interviewed. We are, I don't know how many millions people in Nigeria. And you are just a few. This job is ours. That is before you go in for the interview, imagine. You have not even faced the panel. There are people who think like that. Two men went into the temple to pray, verse 10. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. You can see the two, the two divides. A Pharisee. Pharisee, as we mentioned in the previous sermon, were, you know, the who is whose. When we call a national day of prayer, these are the people we will be calling. So there's a Pharisee, and then there's the other guy who most people are struggling with, the tax collector. Praise God. Have you filed your returns? The Pharisee stood over himself hmm, and prayed, Papa God, I thank you that I am not greedy, mm, not dishonest. Mpangawakando, not I'm not unfaithful in my marriage like other people. And I am really glad that I am not like the task collector in case you lost direction over there. I go without eating. Hmm, 21 day of prayer, people. Hmm, fasting, where are you? I go without eating for two days a week. Hmm. And I give you one-tenth of all I earn. Is it gross or net? Hmm, leave it. The tax collector stood off at a distance and did not think he was good enough even to look up toward heaven. Can you imagine that difference? He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed that God... Have pity on me. I am such a sinner. If you remember the two thieves who are on the cross, 
Was there someone who made a prayer similar to this one? It was the thief on the left or the right. I can see Phyllis picturing the cross. It's a guy for, yeah, there was one of them, Phyllis, he's right. So, have mercy on me. There was one who made a similar prayer. Such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who was pleasing to God. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. But if you humble yourself, you will be honored. What a story. What a story. I'm telling you, heaven will shock us. There are some people you will meet in heaven, you will go back. Hey, brother, did you see who? How? Ah, this thing has been rigged. Stolen. Open the service. 60% this thing, we has it. It will, be, it will be tough in heaven. It will. Give your neighbor a look as to whether you think. No. I know there are even spouses who know. I, if I find you there, <laughs> child of God, let me tell you, heaven will shock us. And that is the trap of legalism. Anything we do or don't do. And you can, this guy had his list. He had done his homework. So that we can earn that favor from God. But the big question is, then should we do any good? Should we fast? Should we pray? Or should we just stop it all? But God's word is also clear in Ephesians 2.10. And it says that, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That stands that God prepared, listen, it is in advance. Not the work you create for yourself, it is what? In advance. So ideally, there's a place of us doing good works. But the big question is, and then what is the problem? The problem is when those good works or those works, quote-unquote, become what we want to reciprocate to God and try to make it even. When those works become the basis of our justification, when those works become the basis on which we say that, I am a good person, I fast, I tithe, I help the poor, and you're saying that, God, you might as well consider my track record. Imagine if this was LinkedIn. You know, have you ever seen that someone LinkedIn's profile and then you look at them, brother, is this you? That's exactly what we try to do with God. We put out these things and we put it all there. And that is why the challenge comes. In fact, Galatians 2.21 says that I don't turn my back on God's gift on undeserved grace. What the Bible is saying that every time you do that, you turn your back on God's gift of what? Undeserved grace. Because you're saying, I have earned favor with you by, on my own terms. And here we are. That I do not turn my back on God's gift of undeserved grace. 
if we can be acceptable to God by obeying the law, it was useless for Christ to die. If basically by observing the law, by doing good works, then the songs we sang here, Hosanna, and thank you, worshipped him for leading us. Let our king believe those useless. If just by observing the law, doing the good things, it was useless for Christ to do what? To die. And as I was taking time to pray, I realized that God takes it seriously that he sent his son to die on that cross. That's why we do Holy Communion. In fact, the Bible says that as often as you do this, make remembrance, lest you forget there was a moment in time. And Pastor Benson, just to be reminded, I have not, I've not seen Holy Communion in a while. Eh? Oh, it was last Sunday. Ah, you kirudiwo. Kirudiwo. Oh, last Sunday, hey, hey. You could not send for diaspora clients. But that's why we do it, right? To remind us where we get our justification so that it is not useless that Christ died. But unfortunately, the thing about legalism, why, is it, why are we so naturally predisposed to find ourselves following that card, doing those things? Why? It's because of our society. Last, the other Sunday, we talked about how we are in a culture of performance. For you to earn anything, you must perform to earn it. To get that promotion, you must perform. To be the one who ends up with that girl, you must perform. Even in marriage, to just ensure, you must perform. So there's the perform, 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 perform. And so we are so aligned in that particular way. And there are various sources of this aspect, of this pressure of legalism. The first one being our culture and our society. Society has created things that, lists of do's and don'ts, things we need to be doing, right? It's very clear. Like we read about the story of the woman who was caught in the act. When the people came, they say that the law of Moses is clear that anyone who is caught should be stoned to death, not just stoned. Hey, pastor, you're not generous. To death. Or if it's a Sunday, people must go to church, right? There are people who even take advantage of you because they know you identify with the Christian badge. Hey, just take it. Because they know they expect you to behave, to relax, to be taken advantage. In Jesus' name. You know? And that's the thing that the society has put it out there. There are even things, even in terms of our culture. I, I like the way, especially when you talk about one of the things, if you go into the, a bit of the secular space, is Nairobians. One of the things Nairobians are known for. When you go out there, what, do you, what, what are th some of those things? If you've... Let me just hear some. Nairobians. What are they known for? 
Are they Bansa? See, people are just. What are Nairobi Akwapa? Nairobi Akwapa? It is drinking. Who, who, how many agree that if you go out there, there's a very interesting. Nairobians are known for. So when they're planning for you, you've gone visiting, the one thing they're planning for you is for what? In fact, we even have scripture to back this thing up. Take a little wine. A li uh, but ask somebody, take all the wine. Cut away to come taro. You know, take all the wine. Those are the little, little things that we have brought in in terms of the culture and how it allows us. That is just one source of it. But then the second source which is very interesting is also our Christian friends. My brother, my sister, the same people who are here. There's a pressure we give one another for legalism. Hmm? There's even a Christianist thermometer. Some of us, if God forbid we put it under your armpit right now, you are freezing. These are the kind of things ushers should have when people are coming in. Or those supermarket detectors. You go in each other. This one should sit on the back. I don't know. Christians, we know. We know how to do this thing, right? You know, those Christians who tell you, you know what, this time I wrestled with God in prayer until he gave me an answer. Mm, I'm not living here. You four minutes into the prayer, you are like, mm-mm. Yeah, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. <laughs> but there's a guy who is like, just when you think people are getting tired, they're now getting under the seats. They have changed. You're no longer hearing human words. You're just sounds, groans, and pains that, you know, humans, human words cannot express. Hmm? Or if it comes to reading the Bible, some of us, if the pastor insists that you have to quote a verse before you leave, and it's not John 3.16, you are better asked for accommodation. So the guy who can quote more verses, say more, that's the guy. Christian pressure. You know, and if you're not attending all services, hmm, you're the people who are disturbing passages, this 4.30am prayers, why 4.30 are not 4? In fact, you, this season where we have taken a break, how? How? How are we taking a break from prayer? Pastor, are you also losing it? That, that's, the, that's the pressure we... And there's a way we, we know. It's not said, but we know it, right? It's the codes. So the society on one hand is giving us pressure. First, there are certain things you cannot be. Then you come into the Christianity space as well. There are certain things that are expected. You must, and all these other things that we do, that, hey, I justify. And like this Pharisee, you had that story, right? The guy says, I fast. I, tithe, I do not, even the wife, I am not unfaithful. Hey, my friend, that guy had confidence, eh? 
those are the things we know as Christians. In fact, if I read that, one of the things that Jesus talked about, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and that is us. Don't look at it like just our pastors. Even us, the standards we have put in, there's a way we know how to gauge each other as Christians, category 1A. And those ones of 1? 1B, I don't know where you belong. The first service, we try to put people in their places. There are new people who have come and they are not privy to this information. I don't know that we put them. No, certain churches, category this, this, and category this. And it's indeed so elusive, that thing that we do. Matthew 23, 13 to 14. And Jesus says that you Pharisees and teachers of the law, and we could say this, that as Christians, brothers, us, that we are in trouble. You are nothing but show-offs. You lock people out of the kingdom of heaven. You won't go in yourselves. And you keep others from going in. You are not going in. And you have locked others out. That even in Jesus' time it was happening. Can you imagine? God help us. That it is, if it is us who have locked people out of his kingdom, that we will learn a new kind of grace. Amen? May we learn a new kind of grace. A grace that admits people into God's kingdom as opposed to locking them out. And the last bit is the pressure we also give us from within. Your own self. There's a pressure, legalism, your own self. You have set certain standards for yourself. Your own Christianese goals. I always start off my year with prayer. I always read my Bible. And I always do. Do you have a list for you to still look like a Christian in your own terms? I always take time and pray and, you know, there are things you've defined for yourself. And let me tell you, this can be part of the worst pressure you can ever have. The pressure you put on yourself in terms of the standards you must have. And the problem comes is when you fail at them. You feel like you're a failure. Hmm. Now I fall short. I'm no longer worthy. I'm not in right standing. Why? Because I do not pray. I feel less of a Christian now because I have not woken up to pray as I normally do. Do you feel like your spiritual thermometer? You feel you have a Christian cold, you know? Just because I did not do this, I do not do this, I did not do this. Hey, guys, aren't we giving God a hard time? Imagine all the different skills he's got to use. Romans 10.3 says that for not knowing, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. In any way, are you seeking to establish your own righteousness? For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. That's the trap we are in, the trap of legalism. That society on one hand is putting this pressure on us. Our Christian friends, me, you, us, we are also putting this pressure on one another. And even our own selves. That even if we are the only surviving 
person on earth, there's a pressure you'll put on your own self to earn your own righteousness. But every time you do that, what Romans 10.3 says that you're not subjecting yourself to the righteousness of God. And what is this righteousness of God? The Bible says that him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, him who knew no sin, was made sin. Some versions say that he was made the atonement. He was made the sacrifice. That on dying on the cross, it was basically paying the price for our sin. When he shed his blood, just like in the olden days, the animals would be killed, right? And the blood would be shed, and that would be symbolic of the transfer of that sin. This time, it was Christ. Him who knew no sin was made sin, so that when God looks at Ben Marsh now, okay, maybe Ben Marsh is not a good example. Let me look for, you know, I'm a judge, eh? I'm telling you, that is part number two, the Christian one. Christian friends. But you know how we do it? So that when God looks at me, he sees someone without blemish. That God so siwezi toboa. Left to my own self, to redeem myself, I can't. I'll not. I'll always come short. And so he says that, you know what, for now on, I will stop looking at you, but I will look at the death of my son. And say that, hey, there was a transfer that happened. Your sin, in fact, the Bible says, him who, can you see the difference? On the one hand, there's him who knew the, no sin, and then there's me who is sinful. And there's a whole exchange that happens. And now he's the one who takes on the sin. He takes on the shame, so that God may look at me and say, Safi Kamapamba, very clean. Very clean. And in this particular path of this legalism and trying to establish our own, there's a story, it's, I, I, I stumbled on it. Interesting, it was about the interviewing of some South African judges, and you can just check it out. It's on YouTube somewhere. This judge is called Raymond Zondo. I don't know if anyone has heard of him. If you did good history, your, your history teacher was a serious person. Oh, none, I see none is represented here. But there's Raymond Zondo. Okay, don't blame your history teacher. This South African history, a bit in their history. So these guys being interviewed, the way we have our judges normally go through the panels, you know how they do, right? And they're being questioned. And they bring up an issue. Mr. Raymond, there's a story about loan, a loan you have, a loan for food that you have never paid. Ha ha. Telling you, is it the right time to bring up local issues? There's a story about food. You have never paid. Can you say that story? And the camera's turn because it is Raymond Zondo's turn to explain how he can be vying for a job as a judge. Such basic needs. He explains that his mom, a single mom, was taking care of them as children. He finishes what is equivalent of high school, and that was free school. All right? It's a school you walk out, you run to school, you come back home. But their mom was struggling. They get some food in school. That will lighten the burden. But this is a single mom trying to make it. But now Raymond Zondo has finished school and he has passed well. And now Raymond, if he's going to go on with his university or with his school, he has to go away from home. 
But Raymond being a responsible person, he wonders who will take care of mama? Who will take care of our other children? Because by then they were helping, trying to look for one or two things. And so I remember Raymond in desperation one day, he just goes into town and he goes and he's just walking around. He goes into an Indian shop and he finds this Indian and he explains to him the situation that I have, this is a situation in the family. I'm supposed to go to school, but now I can't. I don't even have that fees or I can't go, the initial amounts required. And furthermore, my family don't have food. Can you help? Can you imagine that amount of desperation? That you just go, a stranger. And this Indian tells, listens, and he says some of the things. He didn't ask me many questions. He didn't do KYC, due diligence. You know all those three-letter things we normally do before you can lend out your money. Maybe he's a con. No, 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 no. He just told him, I do not have money to give you, but I'll give you this little voucher. It was about 20, 40 rand, he says, South African runs. He says, give it to your mom. Tell your mom to come to this shop every week and get groceries and the food they need. That's the help I will give you. Interestingly, that amount was what was enough to feed them. He goes back home and the mom could not believe that you have secured food for us for an indefinite time period. Raymond goes to school. He's done his university by God's grace. He's in law school. And he's finished, and finally God gives Raymond a job. Guess where Raymond goes back to? Raymond goes back to the Indian shop, and he tells him, hello. Do you remember? Yes, I know you. And your family has still been picking groceries, yes. Thank you very much for helping me and my family. I have now finished my school. And what I want, just tell me, calculate for me how much I owe you. You remember the loan? Calculate for me how much I owe you so that I can pay you back. And the Indian man looks at him and he tells him, Raymond, you cannot pay me back. In fact, I will not accept that you try and pay me back. Go ahead and in your own way, do good to those who come to you. Can you imagine? I imagine if it was Nairobi people, finally my Lord has come through. Calculation with interest. The current inflation rates. But it says, go and do good to someone else. And when I think about it, basically I was telling Raymond, you cannot pay. That was grace that I gave to you. you. You did not earn it. And you're not going to even try and pay it back. I'm not even concerned about how you will pay it forward. You go and do what? Pay it. Do you remember that, that verse we say that Ephesians 2 and 4, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance. Do you remember? He tells Raymond, you go and do those good works ahead. And so that is a very interesting shift. What Raymond was trying to do in that moment in time was to come before the point of grace and pay the price. 
Do you see that? To pay back. But the man tells him, mm -mm, you cannot pay back. You pay forward. Take the grace as a point of departure that someone was kind to you. Someone was good to you and do good. And Raymond faces the panel and says them, tells them that in my own small way, I have tried. And that time, by then he was tearing. Because imagine if it were not for this man, he would maybe have not done that law decree. He's tearing at that point and he says that in my own small way, I have tried to do my little good. He even acknowledges it is little good. And that is the calling that Christ gives us. And that brings us to the point of questioning the goods. Is it bad that we do these good works? Is it a bad thing? The good works, the key thing is the motive. What is the motive behind those things we are doing? What is driving you? Are you trying to earn? Are you trying to match up? Are you trying to pay back? Are you trying to make it equal? One of the laws of humanity is reciprocity. That can be a tough word depending on where you come from. It's in the same class as parallelogram and things like that. Reciprocity. You know, the people who are breaking their tongues and saying, Jehovah, deliver me. Release my tongue now. Anyway, reciprocity, paying back, it's a human currency. And unfortunately, we get trapped on that side. You're trying to pay back, but God is saying, mm -mm, you will never. In fact, it is useless that I died if you even try to pay back. That is where we came from. Do you remember the Old Testament? whereby the likes of Solomon would offer so many sacrifices, the number of bulls and whatever that was slaughtered, they could not even be counted. Because we were trying to, and people will be told the kind of sacrifice you bring should match what you're. And look at how we've been entrapped. That's why there are some people, God forbid, who are still caught up in that, that if you want a prayer, a prayer of one hour equals how much? Have you found people who are trapped in those things? Or there are some of us who are victims. Or some of us who still are, you have, you have negotiated for installments. That is where we came from. And Christ was saying that, hey, that is not, and that's why we're saying about this someone is that this changes everything. Can you see why things can never be the same again? You will never try to pay me back. If anything, the good works can be you paying for it. But not with reference to trying to equate it to what I did on the cross. Never ever. But what are those signs that we are living in legalism? This is the part where you want to check yourself. So your check boxes. If you say a point, you tick. You know, 10% legalistic. If you say another point, 20%. What are those, some of those signs? Number one, there's a sense of spiritual entitlement. If you find yourself in that space of spiritual entitlement, what does this mean? That you deserve, that God must answer your prayer. God, this time you must answer me and answer me in the way that I want. Do you find yourself sometimes there? That you put God in a corner, you are not living until you Answer the prayer. 
seems a bit absurd, right? That you cannot put this God in a corner. You cannot say that, hey, now you have to answer. There are people who even make prayers, God, it's you embarrassing yourself. You have to come down. You, I have to be promoted this time. My children have to pass their exams. What other prayers do we make? That way? The pastor is just whispering, I can't even hear. But those are the things we do. It, and if you're in that state, it's basically you're telling Christ, for the things I've been doing, you must reciprocate. Because the problem with this reciprocating business, it has no end. You're always, but I did this for you. I added now. God, you must, my business must succeed. I look at people in the Bible, Daniel 3, 17 to 18. This is Daniel at the time, what they already called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? They were about to be thrown into the furnace. Can you imagine? Look at how contradictory it was. These were people who had stood for God. They are saying that, you know what, us, we are not going to touch those unholy things. But now, all right? In fact, no, no, I'm mixing up that. It was the time about prayer. No, no, I'm mixing, I'm mixing this up. When they're about to be thrown into the furnace, and in Daniel 3, 17 to 18, said that if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is what? He's able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty. For most of us, for the Christian who is entitled, that's where their prayer ends. Papa, you've got to come through. Those flames will be like ice cream, will be leaking. I can't burn. But Daniel goes on and says, but even if he does not, hmm, where has your faith reached? Is it in part 1A? I'm some people say, not my portion. Mm -mm, not my portion. But, see, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Can you imagine that kind of faith? That even when things don't work out as we ought to, that you'll say that, my God, you're still worthy. It is not less that you died on that cross. Your value doesn't come down in any way because you are still God. And I know for us humans, we like everything to be nice, things to be nice. But the Bible also reminds us, in this world you will have, you will have what? Trouble. But then it says, be of good cheer. Because I have overcome the world. What God is saying is that, even in those times, it doesn't change that he is with you. In fact, it says that when you go through the fire, what will happen? I will be with you. When you go through the floods, they will not overwhelm you. The assurance he gives us is that he is with us. But not a manipulative relationship where you tell God, you must do this for me. In fact, in that moment in time, Daniel and his friends reinforced their faith. 
and say that even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. One sign that you're trapped in legalism is this aspect of entitlement, feeling you deserve it. Let me tell you, I have come to learn our God is God, and he, actually he is God and you are not. Turn to your friend and tell them, he is God and you are not. I can see someone telling the spouse, It's important. He is God and you are not. For the one time we have been able to talk. Ah, look, pastor, pastor. He is God and you are not. In fact, over yourself, you are God and I am not. Maybe say that over yourself. You are God and I am not. You do not sit at the same place. The second sign is that that you're caught up in this space of legalism is that you despair at experiencing God's blessings because of your shortfalls. You read your spiritual thermometer, you feel here I've fallen short, right? I have not done the usual one hour of prayer. Or I have done this, I have cheated, I have lied, and so now I want to discount, I want to tell God, bring, let's discount some blessings. Let's tone it down. Let's bring it down because Sitoshi, Leos Toshi Unga, don't bless me full, full. No, 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 no. Hold back. That's a clear sign because you always think that in your good, in your deeds, are you warranted to receive from God? <laughs> Let me tell you, that is not our God. Tell your friend, that is not our God. Mm, I know your brother, your sister, your relatives have dealt with you that way, but that is not our God. If it were, that's why he says that while we were still sinners, Christ, yeah, he did not wait for you to put on t-shirt written Christ's army. Or it was it God's army. Sorry. Uh, let me step away. The kind of looks I'm getting from the children of God. In fact, in Matthew 5.45, it says that he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. There's this song that says, Unibariki, amadui wangu waone nikifanya nini? Nikibarikiwa. And when you see that God looks like he's trying to bless your enemy, you start having problems with God. Hmm. He causes his son, son, I know it can be a mixer, son to rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain. On South Sea, where there are so many Muslims taking over, and at the river where we have still been spared. It's very confusing. That's our God. So if you've been disqualifying yourself, you feel today I'm less of a Christian, I can only ask for 
and today I can ask for fully, fully, because I am ticked all the boxes. That's not our God. That's not our, tell your friend, that's not our God. Maybe that one is Yesu of Tongarin, but not our God. So do you, but not our, not our God. In fact, the Bible says that he does not deal with us as our sins deserve. If he released full wrath, let me tell you, this good health you have, if God released full wrath, he does not deal with us as our sins deserve. He has mercy on us. The third sign that you have signs of legalism or you are trapped in this space of legalism is that you believe that God will recognize your good works as merit or points for your salvation. So it's like you always keep a score. When you do something good, you add it onto your balance sheet. And you tell God yours is now not balancing. Right? You do something, you feel like you're, it's like you're playing these games where you're earning points with God. Now, <laughs> now, you see, even now I've increased my tithe now. I'm no longer in category 10%. Mm. Who say 10% is the ceiling? Papa, we are playing with 10 plus 1. And then you're saying, now God, I will merit your favor more. <laughs> Our God. You will never align. And those are the traps of legalism. And as I went through this in a point of preparation, I asked God to deal with me. Oh Lord, search me and see if there is any wicked thing in me. Search me and see if there is any wicked motive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's partly the message of Easter. The same way that Pharisee who came and say that I thank God that I'm not greedy, I'm not dishonest and faithful in my marriage. He was basically saying, for these reasons, I'm earning merits. For waking up for prayer, God, that is normally 10 points. 21 day of fasting, if you do week one, that's about 50. Week two is 100 because it's tougher. And week three is 300, the whole thing. That's not how we earn points with this God of ours. That's not how we earn. Turn to your friend and tell that's not how we earn points. It's difficult, oh, it's difficult, eh? This thing is hard. It's hard. How do we do it? How do we do it? The problem about legalism, it has some challenges. Why we cannot align in that particular way? The problem of legalism, keeping the laws, keeping the rules, having that checklist, is that when you break one rule, you might as well have broken all. For example, you're this good driver, not uh, Pastor Jed. Pastor Jed, the Lord is still, as we all know, is a church prayer item. But she's come a long way. Say you try to keep all the rules in traffic, right? You try to drive well. Nice person. But the one day, the police find you and they find you off guard. How do the police deal with you? 
It's like, this is the only thing you have done, brother. Is that how they deal with you? How do they deal with you? 40 days of a thief. We have caught them. In fact, my boss has one saying, he used to say, the one day you are just off, the one day, maybe it's the day that your driving license expired. You know, that's the day when Okay, you just start smiling. <laughs> My boss says that the day you walk naked is the day you meet your mother-in-law. <laughs> Every other day, you, <laughs> you just cross rooms. You go. <laughs> Challenge. That when you break one, you might as well have broken all of them. That's the challenge about legalism. The second aspect about it is that when you try to win God's favor, now God, we are, look at it, our best shot. Have you ever seen a guy trying to uh, please a lady? Or trying to, have you ever seen that happening? Or it does not happen on this side. Let me try this side. Guys, have you ever tried a guy making moves? Pastor Jed and Ajua, Pastor Jed, you have to give them. Eh? The guy is making moves. He's. Eh? Now, Najua, who you are ending, Mali. See what one beyond the two mapema. I'm an amnagani for the men. Tuambiwe? Mapema and your best. Mambori Mengi? Masani Machache? Tell us Ali. You, you've tried, you've tried. You tried pleasing, pleasing. Now, Anajua, how touch, how touch. You're not, you're not enough bail. Guys, people of South, please. Those are not wounds we want to be healing. But you see, on this side is that God says, that your very attempts at righteousness and showcasing is like a filthy rag. Imagine that your best attempt to showcase Leo Niko Sawa. Leo Niko Sawa. And God says, My son, my daughter, even that is like a filthy rag. I can see you trying to hold a filthy rag. You have been nominated to take it out of the room, eh? That's what God says. That when he looks at it, no wonder he had to send his own son. No wonder he had to take that which was on us and put it on his son and we become the righteousness, the purity, the cleanness of God. Because our very attempts, it's like filthy rags. You always fall short again and again and again and again. And the other aspect about it is that every time we fail to keep all our lists of rules, the other thing that happens, which is a challenge of legalism, we feel like we have failed in our faith. 
you feel like now your faith, you have failed yet again. That's a trap. That's a challenge of legalism. That when you just break one, no one says that, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Take my burden, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You feel like you have lost that faith. But the last aspect about it, one of the biggest challenges of legalism, it contradicts who God is in his very nature. Because he is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. Psalm 103, verse 8 to 14. If any one of us is struggling with God's, let me tell you the currency of God's mercy. The verse we talked about, if God were to deal with us according to how our sins deserve, where? But Psalm 103, it says that, oh Lord, you are so kind and tender-hearted and so patient with us when we fail you. Imagine if you could say this about the person who you feel is the closest to you in life. Can you imagine? Oh. For some of you, it's the shopkeeper. Oh, shopkeeper. Someone is a spouse. Oh. Wife, that you are so kind. But they don't say, Lord, you are so kind. And you know the person who is saying this? It is David. David was an interesting character. By right now, we would have written him off. It was today's church. That he had taken, I don't know whose wife, and killed the man. That guy would have written him off. No church to bury the guy if he died. But he comes back and says, Oh, Lord. You are so kind and tender-hearted and so patient with us when we fail you that your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us only to find our faults just so that you can hold a grudge against us. Yes, you may discipline us for our many sins, but never as much as we really deserve. Nor do you get even with us for what we have done. For your unfailing love towards those of us who fear you is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. You have removed our sins as far as, from, as the east is from the west. In the same way a loving father feels towards his children, so the Lord is tender and compassionate to those who honor him. For you know how weak we are, and you remember we are only dust. Can you think about it? That God's very nature is to be merciful to us. 
In fact, the same David understood. There was a time the prophet God came to him and said, this sin that you have done, and he gives him, in, let me just read it in 2 Samuel 24, verse 14. God goes down to David and is giving him three punishments. Three. He tells them that, do you choose to endure three years of famine in your land? Three years of famine in your land? Three months of fleeing the pursuit of your enemies? Or three days of plague upon your land? Plague running from your enemies, and famine. Now then, think it over. He's even given time. Think it over and decide how I should reply to him who sent me. <laughs> David answered God, I am deeply distressed. This one, off, offside. I am deeply distressed. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great but not let me fall into the hands of, of men. The nature of our God is to be merciful to us. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, God wants to be merciful to you. And beyond wanting, God is merciful to you. That's how he looks at us. And so as we walk this tightrope of legalism, what God is saying today is that, you know what, my mercy is beyond what you know. And some of us have been kept off because we are not enough. We have been categorized, be it by our societies, be it by our fellow Christians, even our own selves, that we are not enough. Maybe there are certain things we did and they always come back. And the devil, you know the Bible says the devil is the father of lies. Isn't that so? Every time you're trying to move on, he reminds you of that incident, crime scene, you know, that it was only you. And you think you'll be released. God is saying that I am merciful. That I am merciful. May we find mercy in God's eyes. May we be released from trying to appease God. And when we started with the definition of legalism, the things we do. May we go back and interrogate all the Christianese things we do. Are they an effort to try and earn favor from God? The things we don't do, are they an effort to try and earn favor from him? And today he's just saying, come as you are. Come as you are. And even as I invite the worship team, I don't know if there's something that has kept you. Something that has kept you away from God. You always feel like you fall short. You have removed yourself from the list of God's blessings because you feel like, mm -mm, not for me. Today, may we approach God's throne of grace with confidence. May we approach God's throne of grace with confidence. May we approach his throne with confidence, not with second guessing, so that we may receive mercy and find grace.
to help us in our time of need. Let's take a minute and think through your life. I don't know what God has laid in your spirit because it is not about the word, how we deliver it. It's about him and you. struggling and you've been maybe felt condemned or you've had this heavy load over you and not able to rise to God's mercies. He says today, come, approach my throne of grace with confidence, my son. Approach my throne of grace with confidence, my daughter. Anyone who has felt any load, you can put up your hand. We're happy to pray with you too. Anyone who has struggled in that way? anyone, Lord, who has been on the other side of grace trying to pay back, trying to catch up, trying to earn, that Jehovah God, you will take off that lad, that load from them. Lift it off and remind them that you died and you said on that cross, it is finished. And concerning their lives, may they know May they have this deep, resounding awareness that it is finished.
legalism presents itself is in feeling like I should not have done that mistake. So you feel it difficult to accept that Christ has forgiven you. How could I have done that? And you fail to receive God's mercy and forgiveness in a circumstance. And so if there's anyone here who could even have done something in the past, those things that haunt you, how could I have done that? 